1: Line combinations starting to come together with eight days until the start of the regular season. Ben goes in-depth this morning with Connor Brown as he prepares for his first season in D.C. And my conversation with Emily Kaplan from ESPN on her television career, her thoughts on the Capitals, and around the NHL. Good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, October 4th. Welcome to Caps This Morning here on Caps Radio 24-7, presented by Clear, the faster way in a Capital One arena. A full hard practice for the Capitals yesterday at MedStar Capitals Iceplex as the lines continue to shuffle a little. But you get the feeling we're getting closer to what the forwards and the D pairs are going to look like a week from tomorrow when the regular season kicks off. We once again saw Alex Ovechkin with Evgeny Kuznetsov and Connor Brown. That's line one. Connor McMichael played on left wing yesterday with Dylan Strom at center and Anthony Manta on the right. Marcus Johansson, Lars Heller, TJ Oshie held down line three. And Connor Sherry joined Nick Dowd and guarded Hathaway on line four. No surprises on defense. I'm pretty sure you can write these pairs in ink now, all things being equal. John Carlson with Martin Faravari, Dmitry Orlov with Nick Jensen, and TVR and Eric Gustafson. It should be noted that Alexei Protus, hendrik Borgström, Joe Snively, Brett Leeson, Axel Jansson-Fialbi, all five of them, skated in a taxi squad practice before the regulars yesterday. It should also be noted that head coach Peter Laviolette said after practice, Don't read too much into that separation. No doubt some of those five are going to get another chance to impress in the game tomorrow against Detroit. We mentioned to you in this space yesterday the need for a number of players to clear waivers in order to be assigned to Hershey. Good news, they all did. Beck Malenstein, Garrett Pilon, Gabriel Carlson, Dylan McElrath, Bobby Nardella, Zach Fucali, all still with the organization and now on their way to Hershey seemingly set to make the top line out of camp ben raby recently had a chance to catch up with connor brown
2: i'll leave you off the bat just as far as being a toronto boy it's almost like the stereotypical canadian upbringing that you had but if you could expound a little bit upon the environment that you grew up in and how it put you in position to ultimately realize the childhood dream
0: yeah I definitely is stereotypical uh Canadian boy. Uh, my dad played hockey. Was uh, you know played university hockey and uh, pro overseas in, in Britain. And um, so you know, he was my coach growing up. And you know I spent a lot of time on the outdoor rink. <laughs> like uh, you know my my older brother was a hockey player too. And so it was kind of just in our blood. We just uh, it was what we really loved to do from uh, you know, since I can remember. So what's that like then in
2: 2012 when? You hear your name called at the draft lower down in the draft in the sixth round but to be able to share that with your family and to be able to share almost a decade now since that time of the draft with your family who made all this possible
0: easy eh? on the sixth round for <laughs> 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 me no i'm just kidding but uh, it was great i mean it was awesome great experience wasn't sure if i was going to get drafted and so um you know just to go that day was uh, was awesome and um you know a day i'll remember and you know, but it was, just a, it was just a start, you know. It was just a stepping stone and a lot of uh, a lot of days like that where you, you know, get to that next level and you feel good. And so, yeah, that was a really special one, though. We'll redeem ourselves here because 156th <laughs> overall. Yeah.
2: You're top 25 in your class in games. Oh, there you go. You're top 15 in points. You're top 10 in goals, 10 shy of 100 for your career. What's allowed you, not necessarily as a high-end prospect coming in, to have established yourself and to have found your niche and to have contributed as you have over these past few years in Toronto, Ottawa, and now in Washington?
0: Um, I don't know if there's any one thing. I mean, um, you know, I, I do feel as if I was undersized when we got drafted and you know, I was, uh, I'm was, just a late bloomer and, and – uh, as far as my stature and you know, so I was able to get faster, stronger after the draft and things like that. And for me, I just love it. I I, I love hockey. I love the game. I love being around the boys. Um, you know, just enjoying my environment. It makes it easier to kind of work hard and get better. And so, you know, every year I just try to get a little bit better, a little faster, a little stronger. And um, you know, I think that I don't really think that there's any one single uh, thing secret to the success. It's just been. Uh, You know, year after year, just kind of putting in that work. The funny thing is, even in
2: these parts, we we, we saw you in junior in Erie. You played with Andre Burakovsky. We were intrigued by Burakovsky, a Caps prospect in Erie, and Connor McDavid there. So we were keeping tabs, and there was this other Connor, Connor Brown, putting up big numbers. But what did your time in Erie, and especially playing with a Connor McDavid, you know, what what did that do for you as well as
0: far as development? I mean, whenever I try to – whenever I play with a a guy – like that to his you know him you know i play with matthews and these top end guys you try to learn from them as much as possible. just walk by watching them every day see what they do to create time and space and to um, you know do you know what allows them to be really good and so you know playing on his line and pl- watching him in every day in practice even when he was you know 15 16 years old you know, i learned a lot just watching him the way he goes about and the way he creates time and the way he makes plays and so you know i I learned a lot from him and I learned a lot of my time in Erie and you know we had, we had a good team and it was a lot of fun you reference playing with McDavid
2: playing with Matthews now the opportunity to do the same with Ovechkin here yeah. is there something about your game that lends itself to potentially riding shotgun with real high-
0: end talent I think so I think I can help um, I think I can help that those guys I mean, you know I'm sure that We'll, you know, it's a long season, and I'm sure that we'll see a lot of different line combinations. But, um, you know, to have the opportunity to play with uh, those two guys and o- OV well, obviously the greatest goal scorer we know we've seen, and Kuzi's a, a phenomenal player, the way he skates and uh, makes plays. And I think that I, uh, you know, have a skill set to be able to help them and um, make plays with those guys, and and also get pucks back and steal pucks in the forecheck and you know, hound pucks for him too. So. Um, We'll see. You know, it, we got a good team, a deep team, so a lot of different good line combinations, so we'll see what it goes. It's very open-ended, but I'm wondering all the years playing
2: for your dad and given his hockey experience, what, what advice or what did you take from him and sort of what's that relationship like now? I don't know if he keeps a
0: distance or does he weigh in and, and give you pointers still. No, you know what? As a player... Um, he would uh, you know teach me a lot when he when he was my coach but now is, uh, he's really uh, more of a dad role and just more than anything he's just concerned about my well-being and my mental state throughout the year and how i'm you know how i'm feeling ups and downs throughout the season so he's not really weighing in and, and telling me oh you should have done this there or, you know corrective things of that nature the only thing he really tells me is shoot the puck so you know he keeps it simple which is exactly what i kind of need uh, you know this game is mostly mental and so to be able to just you know have that in line everything else will kind of fall suit
2: when you're breaking in years ago with the Leafs or your dad your brother are they living vicariously through you
0: yeah they were um you know my brother was actually overseas at the time playing hockey but yeah they definitely were you know growing up in Toronto like uh, we're all Leaf fans growing up so to be able to start my career there was pretty special for them but and uh and for me and so um you know that was uh th- they really really enjoyed it though uh you know my dad to be able to come down to pretty much every game um mm-hmm. you know in toronto there so that was a uh cool because i was young enough too and uh you know, actually, my Ferrari first year, I was living at home for my first half of the season, and uh, playing for the Leafs, living at home. So that was a pretty cool experience. Yeah. So
2: you like Tavares? Did you grow up? Did you have the Leaf covers, the Leaf sheets? <laughs> no, not
0: <laughs> no Leaf pajamas. No.
2: <laughs> so bringing it to the the present, kind of full circle here. As far as where you are in your career now, when when folks watch you and get to know you over these first few weeks of the regular season, what kind of sets you apart? What's the selling point for for Connor Brown's
0: game these days? Oh, God, yeah, it's hard for me to say, but... um you know i think i work i think the more than anything what i i try to do is is be consistent as possible with my work ethic. you know sometimes you have the hands and, and uh, on a given night and you're feeling it offensively but i think uh, consistently uh, you know i can i you know i can hang my hat in that i i come every single game I'll, I'll come to work and and i'll battle and and compete every night
1: there's ben with some great depth on a new face set to play in the top 6 this season his chat with forward Connor Brown. Up next on the show today, she's a friend to all of us in the DC Media Corps. She has been for years, but her career really took off at the beginning of last season, going from a hockey writer at ESPN to a full time on camera reporter. You've seen her on game broadcasts and a whole host of other programs on the Worldwide Leader. She's heading now into her second season on the TV side in D.C. yesterday. As part of a future feature that'll be seen on Alex Ovachkin, here now, my conversation with ESPN's Emily Kaplan. Well, joining us here this morning, you see her on Around the Horn. You see her on NHL coverage. You see her pretty much every. I've seen you when I've been at the gym in the morning on Get Up with Greeny. Emily Kaplan joining us here. How
3: are you, Emily? And welcome to D.C. Thank you. I'm doing great. I had a little time off this summer. It feels like the offseason just shrinks shorter and shorter, but I'm ready for another hockey season. I mean, we've
1: known you for years. You were coming here for camps years ago with ESPN. But now that the TV contract's there, the whole world knows who you are. Tell me what the last 12 months of your life has been like.
3: It's been wild. It's honestly surreal being a part of game broadcasts. Growing up, it's never something I really imagined, honestly, because there wasn't a lot of people who looked like me or had the path like me to be able to be put in that position. So I think the first year was all about learning, getting reps. I definitely had some imposter syndrome, but by the end of the year, I realized, hey, I do have something to value and I do deserve to be here. And I've just been so proud to be part of this coverage of ESPN, returning to a relationship with the NHL after such a long absence. And we're really excited about what we can do in year two, three, four, five, six, and seven of this deal. Let's talk a
1: little bit why you're in DC. You were chatting with Alex Ovechkin, a piece that's going to air at some point on ESPN and a chance to kind of make the rounds here during camp. I mean, just being here and talking about 800 goals is kind of fun in and of itself, right?
3: Yeah, so we did a shoot with Alex that, like you said, it'll run when he gets to 800. It's now not an if, but when, which I think is just crazy for anyone to wrap their head around of how close he's come, and it's going to be great. It's gonna a cool digital rollout and TV component also, but just... I think surmising the impact that he's had, not just in this D.C. community, which you guys all see every day, but in the hockey world, and you know, he grew up a fan of the sport. Guys like Gordie Howe and Wayne Gretzky were legends, you know, just names and icons, and now the fact that he's mentioned in the same breath as them as one of the great all-time players to ever play this sport is something that I think he even thinks is pretty cool and it's insane and you know I think back to a couple years ago when he had 33 goals and everyone's writing him off saying oh he's washed you know this is probably it for him and to see what he's done since then and consistently year after year putting up those goals but really lifting the team with him and of course getting over that hump and winning the Stanley Cup his legacy is unbelievable and to be able to witness history is something that I do not take for granted. So I hope that I have one of those games. I know I have a November 13th game against Tampa, one in January against Columbus. 20 goals isn't that many. Maybe it's one of those.
1: Maybe. You never know. It'd be fun to see how it all ends up breaking down. Uh, Emily Kaplan joining us here from ESPN. Let's talk a little bit about just big picture, metropolitan division, league as a whole. I, we had Connor McGahee on from the Avalanche and talking about Kale McCarr and how good that team. That team is just into the window and they've already got a cup. But a little closer to home here, uh, Carolina the Rangers, Trocek goes to New York. There's a lot of teams in this division that improve. And if you're Pittsburgh or you're Washington, you know, the old guard are still here, but boy, the other teams are coming. And the top six, top seven could go a lot of different ways, I think, in this division when it's all said and done.
3: I think this is the most competitive division in hockey, like and on. And, you know, you mentioned the Rangers got better even after going to the Eastern Conference Finals because they had that experience. They filled in the need. You know, you mentioned the Hurricanes who over the last few years have really established themselves, but like, Johnny Gaudreau comes to the division and all of a sudden the Columbus Blue Jackets totally change their complexion. They're a skilled team now. And then, of course, the New York Islanders, I don't think anyone's expecting as bad of a year as they had last year with all those circumstances with their long road trip and getting COVID. So this year should be super competitive. But I do find it interesting that no matter how many times we try to write off the Capitals, you know, I mentioned we tried to write off Ovi after his one bad season and we've tried to write off the Penguins. Oh, supposed to be their last dance. These two teams, have just stuck around and maybe their prospect systems aren't as loaded as the other teams and those are some sacrifices they had to make to win the Stanley Cup but the fact that they've been able to sustain the success both of them after winning is a testament to both front offices and it's going to be a great division I'm excited to see how it shakes out.
1: Curious, your take on the goaltending in Washington, just because it's not often that you've got two young kids that have been here for the last couple of years and wholesale changes, bringing in a Stanley Cup champ just a little bit more than 100 days ago and Darcy Kemper, Charlie Lingon pretty regarded as well. Uh, it's certainly interesting, but it seems at least the feel here locally is this is a much more secure situation. Curious to what the national perspective is on that.
3: so I get Brian McClellan a lot of credit because I think it's very difficult as a GM to say, hey, like these are two guys that we invested in. these are two guys we want to see do well but The truth is they just haven't been up to par and we have high expectations for where we need to go and these two young goalies at their trajectory right now and the point they're in their career just don't align with us. So the move that he made to go and get Darcy Kemper and say goodbye to both Samsonov and Vanacek I think was bold but necessary. I think Darcy Kemper comes in as the rare guy who just came off a Stanley Cup but maybe has a chip on his shoulder and something still to prove because it feels like the narrative from a national perspective is the abs are so deep they almost won in spite of Garcy Kemper that he didn't need to be his best and he just was like a guy there and not the guy that carried them the truth is he had a great regular season I don't think that enough people are talking about the fact that when he did play and that playoff run specifically the stanley cup final he wasn't 100 he was having vision issues so the fact that he played as well as he did is quite impressive and coming to a new team now with all those expectations they've needed a reliable goalie pretty much ever since Braden holpe left it's going to be big there's a lot of expectations there's a lot of pressure i think he's a guy that can rise to it and we'll see how it all shakes out but it's interesting for sure and it's something i'll be tracking
1: In the non-OV, non-Washington category, and the last one for you here, a storyline that's interesting to you around the NHL this season, something that intrigues you to follow, whether it's a team, a player. You mentioned Johnny Gaudreau in Columbus. I think that's interesting to a lot of folks. What's something that's on your radar as the season gets going here?
3: I mean, the most unique thing is the fact that there is an NHL team that's going to play on a college campus in a 5,000-seat arena in the Arizona Coyotes. I am dying to get out there just to see what it's going to be like, what a student section looks like. I've heard that there's seats that overlook the ice that are so close that people might need to wear helmets. It's like that type of suite. So that, to me, is something unique to the NHL. I'm not sure how much we should be celebrating it, how much we should be shying away. It just is what it is, and it's part of our unique fabric as the league, right? They're so determined to keep that team in Arizona that they'll literally do anything like play on a college campus. So that's one I'm definitely tracking.
1: You mentioned the helmets. The broadcast booth is so close. I think I'm going to wear one when it's all said and done. Emily, it's great to see you back here in D.C. Just love seeing you on the national stage and have become a superstar right in front of us here. Thanks so much for joining us here. And uh, I understand you even listen to the show every now and then.
3: I do. i like going to give a plug for it at the end of your show. But it's my favorite podcast to listen to that's team specific because it's the exact length I need in a podcast. Where if I listen to it in the morning, I'm like, I know exactly what's going on with the Caps that day. It killed my morning coffee run or drive or whatever and i can move on so you do a great job john walton i'm a big listener and if you've listened this long you probably are too
1: (laughs) checks in the mail emily thank you that's emily kaplan see you all season on espn and espn plus their national coverage of the nhl coming up on the show tomorrow it's game day with detroit 7 o'clock at Capital One Arena. TV coverage tomorrow on NBC Sports Washington. Radio side at CapsRadio247.com. We're going to get into the Metropolitan Division with our team previews tomorrow as well. Mike Maniscalco, the TV and radio voice of the Carolina Hurricanes, will join us. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. For the latest on the Capitals and hockey news around the clock. Let's go!